0: Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Front Porch. Hey, Dennis, how you doing? Pretty good. Hey, we got a name, The Front Porch. How's that sound? I like it. Yeah, pretty sweet. Uh, you want to tell the little backstory of why we call it The Front Porch?
1: Um, sure. Uh, a buddy of ours, Mike, who uh, hosts game nights and and random gatherings at his house, has a nice uh, nice. House up on a hill with a front porch, and it's a place where members of our group who regularly consume tobacco products gather to uh, uh, engage in that activity, and also a place where long and somewhat excessively late night conversations happen about a variety of topics, kind of like this podcast.
0: That's right. I think excessive is the word to apply on both of those, right? Uh, yeah, so tonight, yeah. today, we're going to talk about a couple classic nerdy things. We might as well start off and get our uh, super uh, conversation on about some Star Wars, some Star Trek, possibly some Indiana Jones, and then a little bit about board games and video games, branding franchises. So I have a question for you. Okay. Star, Star Wars, the the new movies and the old and the prequels. Um. I think it's safe to say that episode seven has been a pretty good success. What's like a billion in two weeks? That's pretty good if money matters. Um, But it's got some good ratings. Everybody generally accepted it. And I would say that fandom is pretty much on board there. But I guess the biggest critic or critique about it is that it was retreading the old. Um, It was episode four, almost beat for beat. So many things were repeated with it. And for me, I was happy. I was giddy and I loved it and it was totally okay. Um, But people worry that episode eight, which is not out at this moment, will be a retreading of Empire Strikes Back. That they'll follow the same things. And it'll be the same exact things that you're going to see. That those main Star Wars storyline, now that it's a corporate juggernaut, it's within Disney, will be just the safe bet. We've seen uh, Disney do a couple things... Recently, with their Han Solo movies, with firing their directors that were too out there, too off-brand, too different, and bring in someone like Ron Howard, who was who's more mainstream, who's safe, and is a solid pick. Um, just yesterday, um, the director for Episode Nine was let go, and words are that they just had differences in how they wanted things to be. So all of this kind of rings that. Disney likes Star Wars, and Disney loves money, which is a good thing. But it's they want them to be safe. They want to stop taking those, oh, my gosh, this is different risks. That's my take on it. Um, what do you think? Well, first off, what's your take? And then the next one is, uh, is that okay? Or to see what we want to expect? Or should they be different? Kind of a little bit Rogue One-ish.
1: Um, was Rogue One also a Disney I mean they own the rights yeah so yeah they do them all yeah that's an interesting comparison because Rogue One is essentially a heist movie where um, you know traditionally the Star Wars trilogy has been a little more uh, epic fantasy yes yeah
0: I agree with that. That the heights. I mean, I, that's what I think. Rogue One was different. It had all the Star Wars components to it, but to not compare it to the Dirty Dozen would be crazy. I mean, just that's exactly how it feels.
1: Um, as far as like safe or or vicious, I mean, certainly from from what I've heard, and I haven't seen a lot of uh, sort of behind the scenes stuff from. Uh, Force Awakens, but I've heard that the director um, drove to uh, use practical effects as much as possible. Obviously, not as much as they did in the seventies, but much, much more than they do, you know, these days with the Avengers dancing around in a in an open field and an entire CGI airport, right? Um, that to me seems somewhat of a Uh, i mean i mean risky is kind of a strong word for that but but not so much a safe bet because of course it i assume increases the budget and things like that um but there's something to be said for a property this this old and this well respected of course with the with the, the the troubled history of um, Lucas's prequel trilogy, um, just sticking to, finding out what people liked about the originals and sticking to that. Um, while at the same time, their their schedule of every other year with something a little different in between might be a way for them to, spread that out. I know they, you know, on various Reddit and forums, they, uh, you know, people criticize them for sort of milking the franchise, which doesn't really make any sense to me. Like if you enjoy the, the world, the universe that you're consuming media, that's, that's based in watching films, reading comics, whatever, then you want to, you want more of it. Like it's the reason that so many series endings, whether it's movies or TV shows or, or, um, books or games, the endings are very often disappointing, partly just because of the sort of bittersweet nature of that story, that world coming to an end. Right. I think that like
0: game of Thrones is, kind of gearing that way with the fandoms, not that it's doing it, but game of Thrones is people are starting to get that. Oh, it's coming to an end. So the world, nothing can be good. And yeah. Endless pessimism. Endless pessimism. I like that term. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, I I think that in general, I'm pretty easy to please. Um, we have a friend, Pat, who I watch movies with and, um, He's, I th- I think that he's one of those guys that can watch anything as well and be fine with it. I mean, it could be bad stuff and good stuff. And it's like, hey, it's, it's the experience. But, man, there's so many people that I watch movies with that are so picky. They're just like, oh, it's not this. Or they have this preconceived notion and they have this judge, judge, judge. And the only three reason that anything can be good is if they preordained it to be good and everybody else does. I guess that's the world these days is that if you you don't go online, if you go online and everybody else hates it, well, maybe I didn't like it so much. Um, Hmm. But I guess with these star Wars movies, I, I, I feel that, you know, it was a wave. The, The prequels, everybody was so excited for, and then they talked and then they hated it. collectively hated it for justified reasons, but there was no, no winning, and then when it went to Disney, I felt that the swell was pretty positive going into seven, and then everybody was like, "Well, if we bash this one, no matter what, too hard, we're going to get nothing. We're lucky that we got this because those pre- prequels were so bad, and we bashed them so hard, and we made Lucas hate it so much he sold the damn thing. Uh, so they kind of like, oh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll like it, but." I think they gave people with Seven what they wanted. They, what they wanted before, they wanted the same Star Wars, they wanted the same stuff, and that's what everybody wants. I do well, worry a little bit that they're, they're going to keep doing
1: that, but I don't know. It sounds a little bit like you're saying that, um, that Force Awakens was well-liked, almost out of paranoia.
0: Uh, paranoia is kind of a
1: strong word, but
0: right. I, I think it's more of, I mean, I don't know. I see this thing with, with internet people. A lot of times is, is this collective, like, um, you bash something so hard for so long, people start finally getting fed up and we stop listening to the trolls. And they're like, All right, you're all trolls. Stop bashing this. And then one person finally speaks up and says, hey, I liked Episode 3. There was this and this I liked. And all of a sudden, people are like, I'm tired of hearing all this negativity. They all finally speak up. And then all of a sudden, it's back into the positive again. Um, Not saying that Episode 3 was great or whatever. But um, it, it just felt like Star Wars had such negativity for so long that now... Episode 7 comes in and somebody says, hey, this isn't so bad. And then a few people might cry, oh, it's the same. And Because I, I remember the first day or two after it came out, people were like, oh, it's just Episode 4. Oh, it's the same thing. But the swell of I'm tired of hearing the negativity about Star Wars and this is fine was just overwhelmed it because people were so frustrated at the people who bitch all the time.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. And <clears throat> There's definitely probably and <sighs> definitely probably um there not
0: yeah <laughs> i think pessimism I think, with the internet
1: yeah i think there's likely an aspect of um i mean there's definitely an aspect of context but also an aspect of like time frame because i remember a friend of mine saying when um, not not quite yet to segue into Star Trek, but when Enterprise started, um, he suggested that it suffered from what he called PMS, which is Phantom Menace Syndrome, ah. because when... I forget the exact timeline, but I think we were still in the middle of the prequels when Enterprise came out, and his judgment was, of course, it's difficult to make a prequel much later because all of the technology and special effects have ava- have advanced in the meantime. Yeah. Which I mean, some of that technology has sort of flattened. So I think that's a safer bet now than it was maybe in the early two thousands when enterprise was on. But, um, one of his statements was that the, 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 the world, or at least the star Wars fans have been starved for material for decades at the time where of the star Trek fans have had nonstop shows since next generation, you know, for the last 20 years. Absolutely. At, at the time, which again was like 15, 17 years ago. Um, that's horrible. And So so it's, it could be a similar sort of thing, except when the prequels came out, everyone's expectations were very high because the original trilogy was great and it had been a long time since any Star Wars anything and then when um when force awakens came out there's there was a little bit of that but also maybe in some people's minds this this idea of the prequels were so bad there's no way that this can't be good you know we've Quote unquote, gotten Lucas out of the picture. Yeah, we um, hit rock bottom, right? We we, we have a well-established director bringing back the original cast. Well, some of them anyway. Um, all of those things, like it was sort of, it was sort of primed to succeed. And really, as I'm as I'm describing that that idea, I think that that almost should have heard its reviews right setting setting that expectation high but i don't know i mean probably doing that as as many people accused that more of the same really ended up helping meet those expectations
0: so what do you think that it, let's say you're uh, Bob Iger or uh, Kathleen Kennedy or the people who are in charge up there in, in Disney. Um, put yourself there for a second. Uh, what do you think you do with um, episode eight and nine and uh, let's say the, the the Obi-Wan Han Solo
1: movies? What, how, what approach do you take with those? Man, I don't know. I'm not... Uh... Sort of runs runs counter to the way that I the way that I think and the way that I, I make decisions. for For me personally, I would you know try to find someone um, well respected in the field, whether by me or by the community, and and trust their creative vision.
0: Yeah, I think. See actually my thought is when they got Ron Howard to do Han Solo was like oh that's good. I mean I was I I can respect the guys that did 21 Jump Street who was what came before and what they did there but I mean when they did a lot of those hires, I, I really felt that like, oh, hey, this this is the movies they're going to, you know, decide that they're going to be different with. And I have a feeling maybe that they went way too far, way too different. And then Disney's like, oh, crap, if we just like tank the franchise here, let me let me let me twist it for you this way. Marvel has done great jobs with a lot of their their movies and a lot of their ones keep being different and hits Guardians of the Galaxy being chief among them. But um, Then they then they they drop the ball by doing some other things like I think uh, a lot of their their Netflix shows are hit or miss Uh, Iron Fist being one of them and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hit or miss. So Marvel kind of like, hey, we'll take all these chances with let's just throw out S.H.I.E.L.D. let's just throw out. You know, the, the TV shows are like, oh, they're great because they're so different and so different. Um, but then Daredevil was great. But then Daredevil season two was so different, but just not great because it was only, you know, maybe it was great because it was different for one time or um, Luke Cage was great and fine. But Iron Fist was not so great because they're, so they're maybe they look at this and they say, hey, we should stop taking so many chances. These are our super money making things and slow it down a bit and get that established director and go forward. I don't think it's going to be bad. I think that's fine for us viewers. I think we're going to get good epic things. I'd love to see a Steven Spielberg type thing. Give it to the guys that know what they're doing. And make it awesome. I don't think you need to give it to some new hot shot thing. I just don't.
1: Now, I'm going to lose a little more geek credibility by asking this. But um, refresh my memory on Force Awakens. That was Abrams? Yeah, JJ. Okay, and more recently known for Lost. Well, not recently known, but known for Lost, right? And and Star Trek. And the and the Star Trek reboots. Right.
0: That, that was actually his. At the time, that was his thing. He did Star Trek, and it was successful. And then he went straight into Star Wars.
1: Now. Interesting. Uh, once again, not segueing into Star Trek, but interesting parallel there in that the the Star Trek reboots are really, to to my mind, not more of the same. Yeah,
0: but, they're not at all.
1: But but quite a quite a departure from. I mean, of course, now we're we're fifty years later, but um, a departure from the original material. What what do you think about their um, their decision to change directors every move? Do you think that was a decision by Disney or a decision by the directors?
0: You you mean for Star Wars? Yeah. Uh that's a really good question. Um I know that JJ Abrams is a big Star Wars fan. I mean like a li- lifelong. Um but he I'm not sure he's a stay with it forever kind of guy. Now, I'm just saying this off the cuff and I'm sure some people who listen will rebuff me the other way, but I think he does some things where he's like, I got a great story and I great and I implement it and I make it go and I tell the whole thing and then I leave it on to other people and go at it. Like he did lost I don't think he did all of lost. I think he just did the pilot and produced it. He was like, I'm good with this. I'm on board with this. This is the thing I make it. It's successful. It's what I wanted it to be. Now let he's happy with somebody else doing it. Star Trek the same way. Um, He even did like the Cloverfield thing. like, Hey, I could do a whole franchise of just these different Cloverfield stories in the whole world. But I did my thing. I did my story. I did what I wanted it to be. That's that. And I think he's okay with that. So, I believe that Disney would probably be say, say let's have JJ do it forever and go all the way through. But I bet he came through and was like, I'm good. I'm happy. I did a really good star Wars movie. It's terrifying. And I'm ready to move on. I almost think that, um, who's the Buffy guy in Firefly, uh, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon, yeah, it's kind of like that. I think he did. He did the Avengers. Did he do Avengers too? I can't remember. I'd have to look that up. Um, but he did the Avengers. He's like, "Whew, that's like a big thing." And it's a, you know, but okay, I good. I'm, I don't want to keep pressing it. And maybe the the directors were like, "Okay, I did good. I put everything into it. Let's not have a Steve Jackson." So if you, you know think? I
1: mean. Yeah, that's uh, that's sort of where I was going with that a little bit. So you think that was more of a decision on the part of the director?
0: Yeah, I I would have to say that. I mean, I, I don't have any proof for that, but that, that just sounds right with the directors that were involved. Now this guy is Rian Johnson. Now he's heavily involved in the star Wars universe. So he's, I know he's up even for possibly directing nine. Now that they don't have a director for it. Uh, this guy is the George Lucas the current George Lucas I guess the guy that has it feels it breathes it knows it he's intimately involved so i don't know he may be di- he may think differently
1: yeah peter jackson is a good example because um you know in in star wars history that that single vision is it's sort of the the blessing and the curse of star wars right because one man created the original trilogy and and they were great and then one man made the prequel trilogy which was not so great right. um but same he, didn't,
0: st- he didn't direct though those uh four five
1: and six he directed four he directed oh i see what you're saying yeah and
0: that could have been Disney's like, okay, that worked. That makes sense. The other ones were directed like that, had different tonal shifts. So it probably worked on both sides. Um, right. Because they can say four or eight needs to have a different tonal shift for that middle part of the story. Let's get director who does that. And that makes sense. Oh, by yeah, the way, I mean... I I say Rian. I'm I keep saying Rian Johnson. I think it's uh, it's Ryan. It's spelled R I A N, which is different. But I think it's Ryan. Ah, uh, gotcha.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and there's a lot about that that whole creative process in film that I that I don't have super uh, intimate familiarity with.
0: They, a lot you, of that. A lot of that is in the like behind the scenes when you watch those on Blu-ray. Why I enjoy buying the movies instead of just like renting them is that there's a yeah, lot of that and stuff. I,
1: and I used to watch more of that stuff, but it's but it's been kind of a while. And I mean, if you have, it feels to me like like you should have one person with a with a creative vision, but it takes so many people between the director and the producers, and you know the, the writer and of course all of the actors and the people in editing. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of voices that come together in a, in something in a project like film.
0: But, but Um, I think in film the way when it works is exactly like a Steve Jackson thing. It's like, all right, we're doing all three and we're doing it all together.
1: It's one movie. That's when it works. Well, right. And that's what I was going to say. Like the original, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is, you know, a, Very near masterpiece. I Um, totally agree. You know, it's a to me, it's a landmark in film. If if only for the special effects. Oh, Um, I think all of it. I love all of it. I mean, I mean, all of it. The 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 way that they use music, um, the all of the 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 combination of digital and and practical effects. Um, I frequently refer to it as and there's a reason I call it a landmark. It's sort of the, the first film that's, that's high fantasy in complete non-real setting where you're almost never in whatever it is, like 10, 12 hours of runtime. You're almost, you almost never have to suspend disbelief because of what you see. Like, you know, it's not real conceptually, but nothing you see on screen tells you that it's not real. You don't right. see, you know, what's clearly some kind of Muppet on strings or whatever.
0: Well, I can tell you this. I think that, uh, the Lord of the Rings is worth a full topic. And I think maybe next week we should give that a good, just a historical talk. Cause I think, yeah, yeah I'd love maybe. to speak on that. But
1: anyway, where I was, where I was going with that is of course the, the Hobbit trilogy is almost like the star Wars prequels of Peter Jackson's career. And yeah, maybe that's a harsh judgment. I don't know. It's been too long since I saw the star Wars prequels to really compare, um, the two new trilogies, but it's clearly an example there of one guy and his team did such a good job with this one story that now 10 years later, they're going to give the same guy and the same team a crack at this other story. And just, you know, I'm speaking from no like insider information, but it feels like the same sort of thing that that I understand about the prequels, which is um, this original property was so successful that no no dissenting voices were heard when the second trilogy was being made. They just, no. whatever, yeah. what whatever this guy wanted to do, they let him do no matter how dumb it was.
0: Oh, man. You, you need to, and I would recommend everybody doing this, if you don't have a copy of the Phantom Menace that has, like, commentary or behind-the-scenes stuff. And I know most people don't want to go get it, but I'm sure you can find it cheap, is to go out and get it. and. Watch the behind-the-making-of type stuff. Maybe it's even available separately online. It's like a sycophant on display. It's just he, uh, he's got like 17 yes-men all around him at all times. And the Lord King walks into a medium room, and he just stands above the table and says, and they all talk, and they all look at him like, Is this good, sir? Is this good, sir? And he's just like, No, I think this. And then he just walks away. He just gives these weird... Generic things. It's most mostly on display when he casts Anna, young Anakin. Uh, you, they show you the, the the different. Like I think there's three different people that they've narrowed it down to in their in their interviews when they're talking to him and running through the dialogue on the scripts. And for the life of me, I can't think of right now the god the name of the kid uh, who got the part. But um, he was not the best at all. And there was other ones. The other kids were like, hey, th- that kid's cool. Oh, that kid's that kid's great. This one is like, what's going on? And Lucas, <laughs> he sits there and he goes like, they're all discussing it afterwards. What do you think about these three? And they got their headshots in front. And he says, well, yeah, this kid was the worst. But, man, he's kind of off there. And he's risky. And we could we could take a chance. And you never know what will come. I think he was trying to, like, be... You know, like let's do something different and out of left field. That, let's pick the dumb one—not the dumb one, but the the one that doesn't make sense. And then they're all like, "Yeah, that's great, that's great." And I'm like, anyone who's watching this now can say, "No, that's." Look at those three. This is this, this is the clearly the I Man out. That's not the not good, and everyone else is just feeding him the whole time. Anything. And they all want. They all were saying great things about these other ones, but that as soon as he put in his two cents, they were just they just switched sides, and now they're on good old George's bandwagon. Say, like, wow, that's just that's what happened to these movies. That's what did it,
1: right? And and I recall, you know, when around the time that they were in theaters, I watched them, and I think the only one that I saw more than once was probably Phantom Menace, but. Um, I remember watching him and going, man, this Jar Jar Binks is just obnoxious. Oh, just horrible. But at some point in the intervening years, uh, I watched an in-depth YouTube uh, video, like a 40-minute video, where this guy breaks down all of the things, all of the things that are actually wrong with it. Because, you know, the original series had C-3PO. Even even early on luke is kind of annoying like it's not an annoying character that ruins this movie it's you know completely completely generic undefinable characters and a nonsensical impossible to follow plot that's really just a a series of cool scenes right and yeah, that's totally true all of the other things you know the the sword fights if you're a if you're a purist for the for the organic sword fights and not the choreographed ones i know the the opinions vary on that one but
0: I'm 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 on the i'm a fan of the new on the prequel fights but uh yeah i i uh i want to say this and we can round off the star wars topic with this especially now we've kind of gone into the prequels George Lucas, I, I was working, I remember when, after Phantom Menace came out, and maybe this was after Clone Wars even, um, there was an interview with him, and they were asking about these movies. And he had younger-ish kids at the time, when he was making them. And he had said, uh, and he's kind of maintained this stance forever, even till just very recently even. I make these movies for what I want to tell the story. What what story I want to tell and what I want. It's not. He never made movies for the fans. He never thought of the fans. He never thought what is this and what is that and what do they want. He never has, and that's fine for the creative types. And that you know, that was me that did it, and it's got a bit of an ego to it. But what he wanted for these, and he was straight out. He's like, I I want to make these movies for my kids this These are the Star Wars for the kids there, and they were youngerish kids, so Jar jar totally works when he steps in poop. I bet you his kids laughed. I can tell you as a as a father who had a five year old at the time she loved Jar jar she loved him she was he was the favorite part of the whole show uh he was funny, made her laugh he was cute he was Everything, and she had like little pictures of him on the the fridge. I thought it was annoying and horrible, but she really liked him so making those and today she still likes the prequels absolutely does because that's was the age that they were kind of made for um, not for you know thirty forty year old Star Wars fans that have <laughs> been holding on to it forever now the new ones. Yeah, there. I think the new ones are made for the fans. The episode, rounding this back to the beginning, episode seven, I think it was totally made for thirty to forty year olds that were fans forever. At the same time as being made for new people, so that they can bring new people into the franchise and make them have the future. That's why you have the old and old actors, and you have the new actors. It's absolutely, and they made it for those fans, and that's okay. So let's segue here uh, a little bit because uh, we're going to go into some Star Trek. We can't talk about Star Wars without Star Trek, uh, and we did a little bit about this in our Star Wars talk. But let's let's bring it full on here. Uh, we spoke about J.J. Abrams being in uh, rebooting the franchise, the Star Trek franchise, and now CBS is coming up with the all all access pass show that. I've not seen a lot of. I might have seen the initial trailer, but um, it is their their return, triumphant return back to um, TV, shot or the small screen, I should say, uh, since Enterprise, I believe. And the, the movies, the rebooted movies, have three under their belt right now, and they are making another one. Hey Dennis, what's your thoughts on the new ones? I know you're a Trek fan. What's let's talk just about this current rebooted
1: series. What do you think? Um, it's it's pretty good. I, I was not aware of this new show. I'm gonna have to check that out as soon as we wrap up here. But uh, that's that's um, yeah. intriguing to me. Um, I'll say I I saw I've seen all three of the new ones in theater. Um, I, I remember somewhat vividly seeing the first one. I was probably 20s. Um, I went, I went through a big star Trek phase in like late high school, early college, I would say, um, very much a fan though. I, though I couldn't ever get into Voyager deep space nine um, seen all of the original series at some point, went back and watched all of next generation, or at least had it playing while I was in world of Warcraft or some other MMO. Right. And, uh, and, and watched all of enterprise while it was airing. Cause that was sort of toward the end of that, uh, that phase of my life, I guess, uh, before I discovered MMOs. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, then your life was just gone. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, The original... uh, Did it have a subtitle? I don't think it did. What do you mean, subtitle? The the original reboot I believe
0: it was just Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Um, Very good. I mean, regardless of the logistics of building or assembling the Enterprise on the surface of Earth and not (laughs) in space at a Star Dock, when... The, who, whoever wrote that amazing score, which that takes me back again to—I um, don't know—that uh, uh, name, Howard Shore and Peter Jackson started this um, this idea, but the the idea of different groups having different melodies, which. Uh, uh, uh,
0: that that you talking about like say Luke and Leia's theme and things like that. Yeah, in I,
1: I guess I guess it's not a new thing. Like yeah, I think it's... of it, I think of it as tr- in 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 association with Lord of the Rings because I think Lord of the Rings has so many different groups, um, that the different the different musical themes for the different groups stand out a little more. Um, but anyway, that's a that's that's a, rest there. But. Um, when that music swells and they, and they pan up to, you know, the enterprise being built there, it, it, you know, gave me chills a little bit. Right.
0: You know, that, that, Uh, that was one of the very first, uh, teasers that they ever released for that, that reboot was just, uh, they played the music. Um, I think they were doing the, the background music that you hear for star Trek with that. We, 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 we. And then it was, um, oh, man, I want to say that there was even the voiceover of, you know, the mission thing. And then they were showing a guy welding uh, some metal, and then it pulled back, and it was the Enterprise being built on the on the surface of Earth. And you're like, oh, my God. And like I said, it was just that score was just coming up, and that was the teaser. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it was that feeling of that, you know, it's Star Trek again. And so, yeah, it was right. pretty cool
1: but real, I guess. Um, so anyway, that was my, that was my experience with the first movie. Um, the second movie was Khan. uh, into darkness. Yep. Um, that one was okay. Um, I'll, I'll go on the record here as saying that I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a little bit overrated. Okay. Sure. Um, um, well, I'll, about that
0: <laughs> no i, I think i think he, i loved him as sherlock and i thought he was a fine con
1: but i mean obviously very talented actor uh sherlock is amazing right i just you know th- there are people borderline worshiping him and i'm like he, he right. didn't he didn't need to be in this and it's like it's like a lot of things it's like this this most recent series or season of Game of Thrones um you can make you can make a film uh, especially if there's a lot of action you can make a film that is very entertaining while you're watching it and it's not until the proverbial drive home or the next day when you get on Reddit uh where you start to cast your mind back and run over the details and go Hey, why did they spend a bunch of time <laughs> fist fighting on the ship through the streets of San Francisco or whatever that was right just to fill yeah. a bunch of time or whatever and to me that is okay like not every movie can be uh, Citizen Kane or memento Definitely. where you know you think back on it and you still... Enjoyed some movies can just be a fun ride. Uh, you um, know what?
0: That's a that's a good description
1: for I think the second and
0: third one. A fun ride.
1: Yeah. Um, as as someone familiar with both uh, the original series episode, the Space Seed, and the Wrath of Khan, and uh, Search for Spock original series movies. Um, there were elements to Into Darkness that I didn't Really appreciate It doesn't make It doesn't make a lot of sense to switch The sacrifice from Kirk to Spock uh, Vice versa It's a little bit out of character To those characters um,
0: Really? you think? I, I see I would have thought that It's not out of character for Kirk to Sacrifice himself I think he would have done that
1: Yeah, it's, it's, no, that's true. It's not. Um, It just doesn't, I think it's, I think it's out of character for Spock to lose control. Oh, right. Like, like he sometimes does and did, Leonard Nimoy did in in moments, but very rare, um, which makes it all the more impactful. And it doesn't, because we've only had. You know, at this point, one and a half or whatever—it's almost to the end of the movie. But like, we've only had two movies with these characters. It's not the original characters who had, you know, three seasons, which at that time was almost eighty episodes. Yeah, true. Um, It's it's a it's a much bigger deal for one of those characters to die, and then of course, in the original films, the dead character actually stays dead and doesn't get resurrected by magic super blood deus ex machina uh, like two I, scenes I will later say
0: that he actually gets resurrected in the very next movie though
1: well right but it's not easy like there's a whole new story yeah. around how that happens
0: yeah i will say though that it also spends an entire movie that i didn't like at all doing it sure it's it's not one of the better movies um, <laughs> Yeah, right no, no, um, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I sounds like I'm defending the, the way they brought Kirk back, which I, not at all. I, I agree that it was like really hokey there at the end.
1: Yeah, it just, it just happens. And then, and then the story moves on, like in, in the search for Spock, which, uh, uh, spoilers, but that's like a 20 year old movie now, um, they, You know, they put his... They put Spock's body out the airlock in a... In a defunct... Or deactivated... Um... A torpedo tube. Mind blank. Um... And he lands on a planet where... The villains of that movie... Have developed a... Like, accelerated evolution... Form of terraforming. And then... That... Process reanimates his body and then they spend um, the rest of the episode trying to get his mind back from out of Dr. McCoy's head so they have to go back to Vulcan and then there's a portion of the fourth movie which is I remember as being one of the best I saw it as a teenager so it might not hold up are you talking um, re-watching. about the, where they go to Earth? yeah where they go to Earth to save the whales uh, you
0: know that well one that's one of the most panned ones i and 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 people don't like it a lot. I gotta say, I kind of agree with you. It's probably gonna knock us down a bit here, but yeah, I was the same age. I thought it was great. I liked seeing like, oh, these people are on earth and it had to have been because of the age that we were at.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's stuff about it that was funny. It's sort of like what you're saying about the Star Wars prequels, which um, I was going to say at the time um, is one of the few arguments in, that I've heard in defense of the prequels that I can get behind.
0: Yeah, and um, and that one was with this with the Star Trek. It's I mean, he's like a double dumbass to you, and then he's wearing he sees the Enterprise and the Wessel. And it's just a lot of jokey stuff, but again, at that age where I was at, I loved it. I ate every bit of it up. So people who were watching Star Trek back in the 60s probably friggin hated it. I bet I get it.
1: Yeah, probably in in retrospect, a lot of it seems it seems pretty campy. But anyway, to to complete my my thoughts about Spock, um, he he it takes him almost that whole movie to sort of come back to the character that he was. Before he died because his katra gets restored into his body on Vulcan but he's lost a lot of what you could maybe call his personality though though he's a Vulcan and so it's a long it's a long process like they're telling other stories while all of these things are happening and you get um, in in that whole process of of McCoy having both his own mind and Spock's Catra in his mind. There's some character, um, character, not character development, but character twists happening there where it feels like, um, into darkness was just fan service and not, and not fan service in the way that force awakens was fan service where no, nobody, I don't think, too many people, if any, are are calling Force Awakens fan service in a derogatory way.
0: Right. Yeah, they're, they're, I see exactly what you mean. It's the fact that uh, everybody loved Khan, so they literally brought Khan's story. Whereas at least the Force Awakens uh, had Star Killer base, which was okay. It's the Death Star 2.0, but it had elements but it wasn't blatant, I guess. Where this was pretty blatant in everything it did.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean even even with Khan, you have whether anybody remembers it or not, you have the episode The Space Seed, which is, you know, twenty years in real time, probably ten, fifteen. I don't I don't quite remember how the timeline works between the characters. It's probably fairly close to real time because of the actors aging um, you have these characters who found Khan and he caused them so many problems that they marooned him on this planet and so then when Search for so- Spock starts and they discover him it's like oh yeah Khan this guy from way back but in Into Darkness they've they've never met Khan like he's, no, he's nobody to them so why is he such a Frightful villain.
0: Yeah, he he really wasn't to be honest. They they didn't push the eugenics thing good enough. Um, here's something that I think he, being a Trek fan yourself, I, I'm I'm a I should say it, I'm a Trek come lately fan um, that or. I didn't watch the originals when I did watch it off and on a little bit. And I appreciated them when they were when the next generation was out, but not hugely. Uh, Me and uh, Mike watched the last one when it was aired and we're like, oh, this is cool. It's a thing. But it wasn't it was whatever. Uh, And I watched the movies here and there, but not until probably Netflix even. That tells you how. No, it was before Netflix. It was definitely before Netflix, because I watched Enterprise Live. But I started to act I sat down and I, like, okay, here's the series, I'm gonna watch it all the way through. And then here's Voyager, and I'm gonna watch it all the way through. And here's this and watch it all the way through. Uh, did I really think, okay, I'm I would call myself a Trek fan then. So that's that's my little preface with that. I have not watched all the original series. I've watched Choice Ones. The one you're talking about with Khan is one that I watched. So All that preface is to say that I I think I feel I believe I get what Star Trek is, at least what Star Trek has been for the most part, even including the movies, which I've always felt that barring some of the later Next Generation movies, Star Trek movies have been basically just longer episodes. Um, And hell, even some of the longer like two part episodes are movie length, so it's basically the same thing, but star Trek has a thing. And I believe most people would agree that it's, it's a lot more talky. Would you, I guess you'd say it's a lot more, uh, logical. It's, it's, uh, cerebral is the word. Um, where how they deal with stuff and it's there's personalities and that's the that's the key it's not really about action and cool stuff and hardcore playing sabotage music uh beastie boys but this <laughs> this next series is though this new reboot reboot i think a lot of people have the problem with the fact they're like oh this is you know not our star trek this is not what it is it's fun It's a fun ride, as you would say, but it's not really what we grew up with as Star Trek or what we know of Star Trek. I'll say that, and I want to kind of respond to that myself. I think it's okay. I think Star Trek, what it did for its many, many, many years, did it well, and I don't know if you need to do it any better. I think I still, to this day, will go to sleep and watch The Next Generation, uh, seven seasons, and it's amazing. Every one of them are great. They're just, they just, well, not all of them, but they give me everything with Star Trek that I could possibly want with that kind of a genre and that kind of a Star Trek thing. Even the, the other ones, Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, I've got so much of that Star Trek that I don't think you need to continue that forever. Getting a new Star Trek that's totally different is okay by me. And I was okay with letting Star Trek what it was before being what it is, putting a slice marker in it, moving forward with something different that has the same universe. What are your thoughts?
1: Hmm. Well, I I came to Star Trek young enough that I've not spent a lot of time thinking about what it, capital I, is. So... I'm inclined to agree because with your with your assessment that it is um that it's more cerebral because even in the campiness of the original series and that's not a it's not a slight I sure for, you know for a long time the original series was my favorite it probably still is um though I have immense respect for Patrick Stewart and and his whole series his um, even in the original series when there is there there seems to be an excess of Kirk um, losing his shirt and getting in fist fights with aliens for no apparent reason <laughs> and a lot of you know really cheesy fight music um, there are an equal number of episodes where you know the, the argument can be made that Kirk is Surviving or saving the ship or saving a planet or saving a culture, quote unquote, saving a culture with his wits. True. Which, you know, in actuality, usually ends up with him just talking his way out of an argument with a computer or something ridiculous <laughs> yeah. like that. Right. Um, but definitely, definitely a show. I remember, um, I read Leonard Nimoy's second, I believe it was his second autobiography. I am Spock, the counterpart to his original. I am not Spock. Yes. Um, where he, he compared the original star Trek to, I believe the mission impossible series, which he, he might've worked on afterward. Really? Um, and he said that uh, Star Trek was almost a show that you could follow from the next room, <laughs> where Mission where Mission Impossible was a show that you really had to be watching, right? Because there was so much more visual um, element to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're you're in the sci-fi genre. And or not even not even sci-fi genre. You're in the the unreal, the the speculative fiction, as it's called, the the meta category between sci-fi, fantasy, and whatever doesn't fall into those two boxes. Um, you have the problem that I was describing last week with the finale of Game of Thrones, where after a little while, the CGI action and fighting is pretty boring. Yeah. And you know, Star Wars had a sort of revolutionary way around that by bringing swords back. Right? Like now you're now you're in space, you have, you know, blasters except you know, m- maybe the blasters are kind of hard to aim and when it gets down to it, it's still knights with swords right and it's a little more relatable um star trek starting out as a tv series you know they were doing things in the 60s that nobody was doing in tv but still at the same time you did not want to see a whole episode of ships battling because they were models with sound effects and beams of light going, going back and forth. Like it's not, not interesting for very long. Yeah. And so it was always much more about the story, the different, the different cultures, the different conflicts, this idea that, um, you know, in the, in the height of the cold war, you could have a ship pile, you know, with a crew consisting of, and you know, an American, a, Jap, a Japanese guy, a Russian, a black woman, and a stinking alien who looked like some kind of demon in the 60s. Right, yeah. Um, and they all work together. You know, they still have arguments. They still have weird, petty conversations about which type of liquor is best when you get the Scotsman involved. But... Um that was a totally just,
0: different series. I'm I mean it, th- those Trek people who who talk about it being so cerebral really need to go watch the original series.
1: Yeah, cerebral is kind of a pretentious word to apply to Star Trek, I think. I, if you're it, if you're putting it on a spectrum of physical to cerebral, then it's definitely more cerebral, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in the same box with like oh, I don't know, Mad Men or something. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think maybe maybe that, those, that group of people are the people who were the uh, Deep Space Nine slash Next Generation slash Voyager people. Uh, I've recently kind of had Voyager on at night before I go to sleep, and I have thought about this topic a little bit, and I've noticed, really noticed, things like, uh, okay, we're going into combat. Here's the big adventure combat scene. It's like, you know, all right, fire full phasers. And then all of a sudden, camera shakes, camera shakes. Spark from the side of the screen. And then, oh, we've taken their weapons down, sir. But there's nothing like... There's no cool space scenes. There's not lots of, like, z- zooming through and attacking and flipping and spinning. And, you know, it's it, it just is a short, quick... Okay, any of the parts where there should be action, we really narrow that. It's not the whole part of the episode. It's just a little bit. So... But when you watch the new Trek... It's a lot like there's a lot of every time where they're moving, they're going, there's very little time where they're sitting around a little board table and they're talking about what they should do with this virus. It's, it's all a lot of let's walk down the hallway while we're talking really quickly. Um, Let's go into the, the engineering place where there's just stuff going everywhere. It's definitely move, 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 action, action, action. Uh, but go watch Voyager when the action comes, or Enterprise. It's very short, it's very small, and you're like oh, that Haradrim could or uh, whatever they are the, the alien guy can turn around and do a ninja kick at you and get you but instead he turns around and watches them get teleported off just because it's not about action. Right. Uh, That's uh, a Diablo. It's the Harak. Right, right. Not Haradrim. What's the... It's the oh the the guys in Voyager that are like they are about to hunt. I can't remember what they're called. It does start with an H. Anyway, uh I I did, can I, I can get it. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I get people who are like new Trek is not old Trek. Um and that it is what it is. And and I gotta say watching the new IST movie, um and I can't even for the life of me, think of the name of it. It's the Beastie Boys one. Uh yeah. It was forgettable simply because all it was was action. It was what I think of as a popcorn Transformers summer movie. It's really insulting about saying Transformers, but it is it is what it is. I watched it, had a good time. When he put Beastie Boys on and they're running through and blowing up stuff, okay, whatever. Let's just move past this part. It's a
1: perfect example, um, and b- before, I, before I move on with this, the, the comparison to Voyager, I think there's an element of... Practicality tied with that because when you're doing um, when you're doing practical effects, like it's expensive to do a lot of combat. I mean, even right. even in Star Wars, there's not that much. Right. It's like the the end, and that's it. Is really the the main. And I mean, there are a couple there are a couple scenes. A lot of that, you know, was added in the in the enhanced or the special edition stuff when the, when they were re-released. But, um, I remember, I remember Voyager being the first, at least this is how I thought of it. The first star Trek that used CGI, but the CGI technology wasn't really ready. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so it's, it's the first, uh, star Trek series where the ship in the intro sequence looks fake yeah like you know yeah. that the old ones were c- not real, but they were models they were physical models, and so you could still see that they were real objects yeah they didn't they didn't look like they get they get a lot of credit for that man, even for me from looking at'm like oh
0: it still kind of looks real somehow,
1: yeah. yeah, particularly in next generation because they would do like every every flyby shot that you see, which is part of why they recycled them took like five passes of the different lighting and effects to get, to get it to look the way that it does. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and, and, you know, you go to present day where almost anything is possible. And I don't think, you know, you go back to the first movie and there's the scene where, I don't even remember what else is going on in the scene but Kirk has put Sulu in charge and given him instructions to leave if you know X to to leave him behind. Yeah, but he, but he doesn't leave him behind. He warps in and the ship does like a strafing move that you've never seen a Star Trek ship do and fires off pulse phasers. And the freaking music swells and you're like this this is amazing. <laughs> right. But by contrast, the, the scene where Kirk sabotages the aliens, literally with the song sabotage. Yeah. You, I, I sat in the theater and I watched it and it was a little bit like Pacific rim. Uh, yes. Yes. Good. I'm like, I'm like this, like I'm laughing and I'm enjoying it. Yep. But all the time going this is so stupid <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, this
0: I love it but it's stupid <laughs> I it's okay I'll accept it but it is what it yeah. is right
1: oh. yeah exactly
0: <laughs> well hey uh, to run out the Star Trek topic here just to fill you in the the new Star Trek show is called Star Trek Discovery um, named after the title um, ship of the thing it's a actual prequel. Set about ten years before the original series, um, so so it's in
1: between Enterprise and yes, and actual Kirk.
0: Um, it see there's uh, I guess it has to do with the Klingon all uniting their different houses, and then there's this cold war between it starts the cold war between the Federation and uh, the the Klingons. So it's just starting that like how it how the Klingons became. Yeah, our big enemies, I guess. Hey, Stars, do do you watch any of The Walking Dead?
1: Uh, I saw two and a half seasons.
0: Okay, do you know, there's Sasha. Um, She's played by Sonequa Uh, Martin-Green. She plays, um, she's one of the ones in there. She was, uh, she's a human, I believe. She was raised by Sarek. So
1: Sarah Spock's
0: father, yeah, Sarah. Right. Okay. So it has some of those tie. It ties in with the other stuff. But anyway, it's a CBS only thing. And when I mean CBS only it's CBS is launching or I don't know if they have already, but their their own Hulu called CBS all access their own Netflix, their own thing. Like everybody is these days. Um, mm. And they're, and they're anchoring it by putting Star Trek is only available through this.
1: So it's behind the paywall. To, uh, they're pulling a pulling an HBO with Game of Thrones. Yes, that's what they're doing. And they're and they're various.
0: But Game of Thrones has enough to to warrant. I mean, sorry, HBO has enough to warrant. You know, okay, I'll pay that, and I'll get Silicon Valley, and I'll get Veep, and yeah, you also get Veep, and yeah, and and also normal movies. But I, I mean, CBS probably has some things, but I don't know. Uh, the thing is is it's gonna make some money for' them, but we'll see it's good. i mean it's gotta i gotta come back with some reviews on this thing okay it's worth the the visit oh another one is Michelle Yaos in this one the perennial sci-fi person um i recognize that name uh she was in um I'm trying to think here she's a chinese actress that's was Star stargate universe um Oh, what else? Yeah, I never got into the Stargate. The Stargate. Oh man, that's that was a a good one to to watch. Um, let's see what else she might have been in that you might know. Um, oh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay, she was the main lady, oh, not not the main it's young one, the main older one. Okay, yeah, it's been a while. I'm I'm sure I know who she is. Yeah, she's pretty. Are, she's pretty amazing actress. So there there yeah. aren't an abundance of. I I have a feeling she may die in the first episode. They, they're all like, "Oh, it's going to be edgy <laughs> and new, and and we're going to kill people off." So mm, we'll see. Uh, but, but anyway, that's cue from that's your Game of Thrones. Right? Yeah, that's what they're going to try to do. And then there's porn in Star Trek. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, so hey, uh, let's uh, get one more final subject in here. Uh, so I we're going to talk about games. Hey, board games. Uh, Getting all the the whole sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars thing. Well, kind of. So I'm a big fan of, I can't think of the term here, uh, themed. uh, Licensed. Licensed. There's the thing. Licensed games that have uh, themes to them. uh, Like, I'm going to just say Marvel Legendary. WizKids has um, the superhero Miniature games, uh, anything that has, uh, you know, Star Wars on it, Dungeons and Dragons slapped on it. I'm a big, I don't know why, I'm a big sucker for that, but it's the, it's that theme. Uh, But some of these aren't good video games the same way. Oh my gosh. I want to play a star, a star Wars game. That's good. You know, and why can't they get this good and everything and, and other, it's not just like our genre type stuff, but a lot of people, you know, movie will come out and like, oh, we're gonna make a video game of it. Or we're going to make a board game of it. And then it's just awful. They're just slapping those licenses on there. But what is it that makes us just keep coming back and, and, and buying it? Like, Oh, it's got star Wars on it. We're going to give it a shot. What, what is that?
1: Well, I mean, it's sort of the same thing that makes people watch the adaptation of a book series that they like, whether it's a TV show or a film. You know, if you enjoyed, um, I'm going to say consuming the media, which it's a weird way to say that. But um, if you enjoyed uh, the story, the world, if there's something you enjoyed, which, you know, of course, in your mind is is all about that property like you feel like what made a book enjoyable has everything to do with that book and nothing to do with you and your life at the time and all those things which of course you know is the actual case but um it, it you know it makes us anxious for and eager for anything anything else in that same world right it's the it's the reason that sequels get made and that people go watch sequels especially if a long time has gone by when you know if if certain like disney movies and things have have shown us anything it's that a sequel made to a movie after like 10 years is probably going to be terrible <laughs> right um so i I think that's all that is. It's a it's a combination of fandom like being a fan of something which is driven in a large part by nostalgia. Even if it's just short-term like short time frame nostalgia where you if you want more. Yeah, you want more and you want to recapture the feeling and the experience you had experiencing it the first time, which you You maybe can, but probably can't, Uh, especially in a different medium.
0: I got to say that, you know, maybe some of of the things let me down with some of those when you play a a Dungeons & Dragons game and it's like, oh, it's actually Monopoly. Or I I don't like... I I should say I don't like the skinning of things. Monopoly is actually a perfect example. I don't like that there's 500 Monopoly games that are all skinned with Lord of the Rings, with with Star Trek, and it's just Monopoly, but those things. But some games... Oh, hey, here's one. Uh, Some games are excellent. There's one called Star Wars Rebellion that came out. It's a very pricey game. Um, But it came out, I think, maybe last year. Um, And it's amazing. It totally makes you feel every little bit through it, like you're playing a star Wars story and with the star Wars characters. And it's like an, an else worlds type story, like with you know princess Leia and all your main characters. You're like, it's so much fun. It takes the theme and it makes the game. And it's given me just what you're, I guess what you're explaining to me is that I get that feeling of more from the world. But then again, if I play star Wars monopoly, what the hell I bought Coruscant, you know, I, I guess you know there's certain ones that I like, and but I will say though that I would buy a Star Wars Monopoly sooner than I would buy the original Monopoly. I would buy a X Men deck builder. I I'd, I'd, I'd give that way bigger chance than just deck builder X that has good reviews.
1: Hmm. But maybe that's me. I think as far as board games go. And th- the same could probably be said of video games, though it, that's a little bit of a different beast. Um, I think traditionally the the track record is that licensed games are usually not great. They're very often, as you said, a reskin that that m- may may be more or less obvious than you know Star Wars, Oppeli, or. <laughs> yeah. um, You know, I received as a gift uh, Star Trek Catan. Yeah, see, that's right. And and was excited to get that. But, of course, um, Settlers of Catan, while an amazing game and was, for me, the sort of gateway between traditional, terrible RNG board games like Risk and Monopoly. Yeah. But since then, I've moved to you know newer games, Carcassonne for a while, and all of the all of the games that have that have come between um, whatever too many too many to list. Uh, you know, Ticket to Ride, and all the way up to legendaries you mentioned, Cyclades. Yeah, I, I, uh,
0: there's an example about this. Like, I'm trying to think of this playing a a, a Ticket to Ride. If Ticket to Ride came out and it was Ticket to Ride mechanics, but it had like Harry Potter skin and you're riding the the train from across the world or whatever that was, I would, I would have, I would love that 10 times better. I mean, I know that sounds really weird because I was just contradicting that, but to me, sitting down and playing a Harry Potter game and all the little Harry Potter pieces and the little things that are put on there. And it's a, a fun game as well. I would much rather have that than not. And I know that's really against a lot of people, what they think like, Hey, it's the game that matters and whatever. And I totally do agree. It has to have both, but every day, if you put me up, uh, 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 something with a score of eight, uh, let's say on a, on a, a board game, and another one that's a a the same kind of board game but it's a licensed one i'll buy the licensed one
1: every day hmm. i imagine that most people who you know like our friend mike are people who buy a lot of games um i guess well to to finish that thought i think they get burned on the on the poor licensed games like either it's some other game with the licensed uh skin on it or it's a game that's not very good that's trying to sell on the popularity of the license yeah Um, which is you know in both cases you might not get a very good game or maybe you do get a good game but it has little to nothing to do with Excuse me. With the theme of the license,
0: yeah, and, and, I, and I agree that most of you, the time you're, you're not going to get a one that meshes with that.
1: Right. I mean, I mean, Legendary is a good example of one that uh, that that does both. You know, you're it's cooperative, and so you're your heroes working together. Um, the cards that I've seen so far have at least, in as much as you can do in a deck building game. A thematic connection to my understanding of the original characters, which again as a not as a as a guy who didn't didn't read didn't really read comics as a kid and haven't read too many as an adult um shame. But, you know I, shame yeah yeah shame. shame I still you know get the basic idea of what kind of person Captain America is, what kind of person Loki is. What and of course a lot of that is from movies, but you know we're talking about the good Marvel movies. You know right. I'm not yeah not basing I'm I'm not basing my understanding of Bane on Batman and Robin, right? Um, sure. And so that's a case where it works well. Um, a game that I've only played once as a as a at eight. <laughs> I've only played once and was a horrible failure is the Battlestar Galactica game. Um, and so I don't is, remember is, a lot is of that the details. Everyone's a Cylon. Y- yeah, Shout that was the everyone's a Cylon. I don't, I don't remember much about that, that game in general, aside from that one story, but the idea of a trader mechanic fits perfectly with the Battlestar Galactica story. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and so that's a place where, that's a place where if the the game mechanics are implemented well, the theme also fits with the the licensed property um, in in both of those two games.
0: I, I guess one of the things is is that when it gets it right, I think it's better than any other typical game. Like when it gets it right, and I, I, I could point out several of them, a couple of which you've mentioned, but um, I own a. World of Warcraft, the board game, it's one of those Fantasy Flight six to eight hour type games, but it nails, it nails it. First off, Fantasy Flight, I think does a lot of that. I think they, they take the genre and the theme and then they just nail it. They get the trader mechanic and they're like, it has to have a trader. We have to have a trader mechanic in it because that's, that's what this show is. And then when you're playing a game whose mechanics mirror the theme that you're playing, I think it just makes everything so much better. It makes you feel like, oh, I love it. As opposed to if I play Cyclades, and Cyclades has a great game. It is a great game. and has great mechanics. Okay, it's Egyptian-themed, but really, you could skin this anyway. And, you know, Monopoly's got mechanics, horrible mechanics, but it's got mechanics, and you can skin it either way. Um, there's a to say that, okay, it's still a good game, but, man, if you could get a, mecha- a, a Monopoly game – well, Monopoly is real estate. Um, or if you had a, a game that has great mechanics and that that theme was also a great theme and it, they have to have each other, then you've got a great game. I think – oh, pandemic's kind of one of them. You can't put – you can't really skin Pandemic. It's about outbreaks of viruses and stuff. I mean, you kind of maybe can skin it, but um, – I think there's a Cthulhu version. No, see, maybe yeah, r- right off there, um, just put there, but it, it might not make it as good. Like, oh, this doesn't make sense because of X, Y, or Z. Hey, here's one that kind of gets reskinned, but they they changed the mechanics to be th- theme appropriate. Was um, Star Realms and Hero Realms? So that they reskinned, quote unquote, it's the same mechanics, but they changed some mechanics all around. And all of the cards and all the interactions and even made these hero type things based on the theme of being a fantasy adventure type thing. Um, But just say, okay, let's put, let's do the same cards, the same things with different artwork. That would, that would, that would have sucked.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting case. And I've talked to some people about that game because I have both of them. Um, I couldn't really get a lot of play out of Star Realms because it's a 1v1 game, yeah. um, and I have either too many or too few people to to get a lot of play out of that um, particular format. And the first time that I tried Hero Realms, our friend Mike had a copy, and he and I played, um, and, I, and I really liked it. Um, as I've described a couple times, I don't think... Well, and I'm probably wrong about this, but I think... So So I won't say it's not possible. I think it's very difficult to do generic sci-fi, where it's relatively very easy to do generic fantasy.
0: Mm, because...
1: It's true. I think about that. Yeah. I mean, most... A, a lot of elements of both come from Earth uh, mythology. Yeah. But sci-fi is like is it is it star wars sci-fi is it star trek sci-fi is it battlestar galactica sci-fi yeah and th- those three are are good examples because the space combat is completely different in all three of those universes um in in Star Trek, space combat works very similar to naval combat. Yes. In Star Wars, uh, space combat behaves very similar to Dog aviation. Fights. That's
0: right. Dog air fights. air yeah.
1: combat. In In Battlestar Galactica, in what I consider the the most realistic of the three, it's really like space you still have dogfights but there's there's no gravity they're still using what appear to be bullets they're still firing nukes there's maybe a little more explosion and sound in space than there should be but it would be kind of weird to try and make a TV show with nothing about ships fighting in space with no sound right. that would be yeah Kind of strange and probably only <laughs> appeal to physics majors.
0: <laughs> Shout out to physics majors.
1: Um, yeah. Right. Where, where fantasy, I mean, whether you're talking about Tolkien or Game of Thrones, like there are definitely differences. Differences in the rules, differences in magic. the universe, you know, between Middle Earth and Azeroth and whatever else you have. High fantasy but versus... Yeah, For the most part, everybody's implementing some kind of cross-section between medieval Europe with, you know, maybe you branch into other parts of the world, you get a little Egyptian in there, you get a little um, Asian-Oriental culture in there. Um, but medieval Europe with magic and a lot of the aspects of norse mythology that were used by tolkien uh you know tall wispy m- generally muscular elves uh short scottish seeming dwarves uh, knights in plate armor uh all of all of those things, yeah, and so and so I think taking the theme of Star Realms and making it fantasy makes the game more accessible. They all all that said, that was a really long <laughs> roundabout way for me to make that point. I, but, I
0: think that I guess my 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 want and desire to pass on my my will to game makers, whether it be board game or video game makers, is that um, a themed. A themed game can be better than a non-themed game if you get all the elements right. I mean, making a game is and designing a game is is hard in the first place. But if you come from it of, um, I know what Star Trek is about, or I know what Firefly is, and I want to make a game to simulate that. That feeling you get when you do that. And if you can do that, you get games like Rebellion th- that are that or world of warcraft that really have the feel like you're playing this themed thing in this world um because if you just did one and you had a game and it was great mechanics and you skinned it then it's going to be like and eh, whatever if you have a great you know license and then a, a crappy game then it's going to be and eh, whatever but if when you have them both I I love it. I want to buy it. I want more of it. When someone says I says Dungeons and Dragons to me and they look at there and there's Dungeons and Dragons in a box. It's a board game. You're like, "Okay, I want to expect to have my feeling of what Dungeons and Dragons is in this box." Um and that's what I think's important and if you can do that, I think you're going to have a better game. I mean, just overall, you're going to get people to like it. You're going to be like, because so I want people to sit sit there and say, hey, here's a superhero game. Let's sit down and play a superhero game. And you feel like you're playing superheroes instead of hey, let's play a superhero game. Oh, this is gin rummy with like, you know, X-Men on the on the covers. So I guess
1: that's my like final don't. word on it. Like Firefly Shiny Dice. Yeah,
0: Firefly Shiny Dice. There you go. Things like that. That's actually a perfect one. I mean there's a lot of things. And it's too bad that we get burnt on that kind of those kind of things where you're like, oh, they're just making they're clearly money grabbing and I understand why. And there's all these influences. But the people who it just overwhelms those people who are like true and make fantastic games that, you know, gets lost in the shuffle because oh it's got a property on it it can't be it can't be good and you're like, oh man, sit down and play this game it's really good uh, to that point I've never yet played a good Lord of the Rings game that hmm maybe or maybe I take that back there's there's a card game the living card game's pretty close to the feeling
1: of Lord of the Rings but okay um, I know my brother played the the deck builder and he liked it I think that's a cryptozoic uh, that is a cryptozoic, but I think you, that's you would know yeah. You're and I played, the, that, I played that. I played that
0: version at Gen Con. Uh, it's got some mechanics to it, but it's definitely a reskin. Uh, sure. It's got like a ring. They put a ring mechanic in it, uh, and then you have classes, but they don't really. So it's 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 again one of those mechanics that's been skinned. It it depends on the game. Like,
1: did you? Have you played many of the Love Letter IP skins? I played Love Letter. I've not played any of the skins. I know our friend Mike has uh, has a Lord of the Rings or maybe Hobbit one that has a different. That that's a case where I know we and our friends, and of course many people on Board Game Geek made reskins of Love Letter. Yeah. Because. They're like ten cards, and so you're like, what? Ten, ten, ten characters people. from this show would be these ten cards, but like, like the, that makes sense. That makes sense. The publisher AEG would never, they would never republish Love Letter with Battlestar Galactica characters and have it be the same game because who would buy that? Like some people would. I don't know. Have you have you seen Bang? I have Bang. The dice game, uh, and I have I have Heroes of the Storm Bang right, and then they have
0: Walking Dead Bang, they have like Batman
1: Bang, and it's, it's true. Yeah. I, I did I did buy Heroes of the Storm Bang only because I didn't already have the base game, All right? And um, you're going to pick bang, one, might as well here, pick one, right? Heroes of the Storm fan, but um, with with Love Letter, they put at least one new mechanic in every spinoff. And that's, I don't know. It's it's good because the the mechanics were usually thematic in some way. But Love Letter is such a solid game to begin with. It's kind of hard to, you know, mess with that. Um, but I but I think it definitely depends on the game. Like as as I've said before, I'm not a uh, I'm not an experienced Dungeons and Dragons player, but. Um, I had two experiences the very first time that I rolled a character with some friends who were playing at the time Pathfinder, but that was pre uh, um, fifth edition. So that was what there was. Um, And when asked to create backstory, I was like, well, I don't, I don't know anything about this world. Like if the story were set in, Azeroth or Middle Earth. I could just make some stuff up. Yeah, like lived in this village and came to this city, but like I don't know any names of any places, any of the world or anything, and especially in a world like uh, what's it called? Um, what's what's the D and D world called? Uh, Faerun. Yeah. Or the. Uh, inner sea world of Pathfinder th- because it's a world created for this Dungeons and Dragons or this RPG um, uh, storytelling framework. There's just a lot there. There's so much different peoples and different countries and, and all of these things um, to where, you know, I mean the, it, it, it ends up not really mattering. Most of the time, and in my very very limited experience, um, you're really focused on your party and what your party's doing. Now, I'm sure like Pathfinder does organized play, so they do a lot of stuff where you know people are playing through the same campaign and they're different stories, different cities with stories um, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but to contrast that with our more recent experience playing Dungeons and Dragons at Gen Con. Where we, you know, discussed it a long, a, a long time before the event because a friend of ours, um, DM'd for us, and said, you know, does it does it have to be D and D? Could we do Could we do role playing in Star Trek? Could we do it in uh, Star Wars? Could we do it in Hyrule? You know, whatever, whatever people wanted to do. And what he ended up doing was giving us typical traditional D&D characters. I mean, we rolled our own characters, but we rolled normal D&D characters, and then he teleported our party onto the Enterprise D and had us solve a mystery on the ship. And
0: hilarity ensued.
1: And hilarity ensued. Um, And that was a little bit of a... You know, I mean, whatever. It was fun. Everybody had a good time. But it's a weird sort of idea to try and you know now be like you understand the setting like i as the player understand the setting very well right yeah but understanding less the setting that like understanding the mind of my character less because i'm less familiar with the world trying to you know, role play that out. Of course,
0: that, that was a good example playing. of skinning it. That
1: was, that's a good example. Yeah. yeah ro- role playing is a, is a, is a game format where theme really, really matters. Yes. Like yes. the theme, the theme of love letter is not really important. It's like, the mechanics. No, no but I had I played it at least dozens of times before reading through the the instruction manual and understanding the characters and what they're doing. I think it's actually some kind of spin-off of some bigger game where you actually have these characters with this, uh, Royal court intrigue happening. Really? But for, for, um, in terms of the game, the gameplay, it's, it's really not important. Like it's a, is a bluffing game, you know, with, with cards and rules, and that's it. It's not, you know, it's not a game like the Game of Thrones game or Small World, which has almost a lack of theme, right? Uh, not <laughs> not going go to that. Theme, one, right? Like, it, like it has a theme, but it's you know it's not implemented well, and it it just feels weird. <laughs> yeah. But um, or. Just like Ticket to Ride. like They've done Ticket to Ride in other countries, but I don't know how you implement that game without trains. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know.
0: They, they could say the same thing about like how can you put uh, Star Trek on Catan. They did it.
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: The, I mean, if you could play Star Trek with Catan, with just ships hanging between planets, you could do anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, by that point they had the naval, the 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 seafarers part of Catan in place, where instead of building roads, you're establishing a shipping route. So I guess, yeah, you could, you could probably do that with Ticket to Ride, but. Um, I, I, I do agree. Like there are there are some games where the theme matters less. Um,
0: yeah, and, and you're just playing the, mechanics. I mean, at that point, some t- some games you're just playing mechanics,
1: and, and like, that's okay, I guess. <laughs> Mechs versus Minions is a good example of, like, I don't have to know or appreciate anything specific about the theme of that game to enjoy playing it.
0: Right, but actually. That's another perfect example for the other side of that is that like when, when I played it, I'm just one of those nerdy kind that I do the voices for the, I'll read the story and do all the flavor text. And then we sit down and play it and it makes it so much better. Not because, oh, you're getting a story with it, but like what you're doing on the map makes total sense. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm getting the bomb because the school's going to blow up and I've got to protect it before the guys get in and try to blow it up for this reason. And then this is why this... And then we read the story about why the boss comes out and what he's doing there and why we have to do what we're doing. Um, And then why we're in our ships and and why we have crappy cards before, but we don't. So that's actually a a good example of the, the theme does matter. If you... I mean, or sorry, it doesn't, does matter. It enhances it greatly. Putting, putting like pinup girls on rummy cards doesn't change rummy. Doesn't change anything about rummy. But putting, putting the theme on Mechs versus Minions really enhances it greatly. Okay, so let's, let's. Wrap this session up here with a little bit of uh, what we're doing, what we haven't done, and what we want to do next week uh, bit. So, Dennis, uh, you have Netflix, right? Yep, of course. Hey, can you do me a favor and check real quick your your my list? What are What's the oldest thing? Let's say five of the oldest things on there and then reasons why you haven't watched them yet some of these things just sit on your list forever. I know I've got some, and I'll go through this ones w- real quickly.
1: Okay, so you're talking oldest by that you've added them lo- long longest, longest added ago. Yeah, like they've been sitting on your list. Added. But like
0: because uh, mine just keeps building up. Like I'll add them, and they sit there forever.
1: Now, I I think I purged fairly like within <laughs> you well, did fairly it recently. I mean, like. In in the last year or so, um, but let's see. From from oldest oldest up, the bottom five I have are. Oh wait! Pause! A, pause! Uh, pause! Pause! Okay, a you're, you're like super documentary super Mint. Can Uh oh!
0: Wait! Whoa! 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 I'm losing you. Lost you. There. Can you oh, there he is. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> it when you you said i purged in the last year and then all of a sudden went super robot so just if you want to just pick up from there say like i purged in the last year
1: pause and then i purged i purged in the last year but um from oldest up the oldest movie i have here is a movie called mitt m-i-t-t which is about mitt romney oh yeah uh i've I've not watched that but i'm i believe i saw it on a list somewhere of he, lo- he things lost, good to the watch way. yeah yeah i mean the, the probably a more interesting story than the story of a guy who won that's true that's true you know trump's not writing a book about what happened
0: <laughs> not yet
1: um not yet i'm sure he will that's right
0: how how, how the war started
1: yeah um, a TV series called Awake, mm. which is about a guy who, every time he goes to sleep, he wakes up in a different world. Um, one in which, I believe, one in which, it, like, there's an accident. And there's one world where his son died, and there's another world where his wife died. And he doesn't know which one is real. Uh, like I, I watched two episodes of it. I watched two episodes of that. Um, the TV series Hell on Wheels, okay. which I've not seen any of. Uh, How come you haven't watched the that movie? One? Um, don't know. Probably just was never in the right mood for it.
0: Um, I think that's, that that, that the, is an answer for some of these in there. Just in general, like you got you put them because you're not in the mood for them then, but you know you might be someday.
1: Yeah. Um, After that, I have the movie Best in Show from 2000. um, About, I think it's about dog showing. And the uh, Dragon Tattoo Trilogy, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, yeah,
0: right. Cool. I didn't even know that was on Um, Netflix.
1: In in that case, I watched the first movie and, and have not seen the second and third. Um, that one was a little rough, a little heavy. Probably, yeah. Why I never picked up the second and third installments. Um, and your last one? I mean, that's that's five. Oh, that
0: five? That's not too bad. Those are all pretty watchable ones.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could, I could do an entire topic on tv shows between the various uh whether it's drama or comedy or something in between and the time format um i'm much more likely to watch three or four episodes of a 20 minute show than a single episode of a 40 minute show just yeah because of psychological commitment factors i guess right Uh, (laughs) um but I think it's a, I think it's a, a, whatever, like a normal or understood process where people put uh, things in their Netflix queue, or now it's called The List. Um, I read this in an article about procrastination. Um,
0: <laughs> did you put that off reading that put th- for later?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, at least a day or two. <laughs> um, people put things in their queue like documentaries or classic films not that anything in my bottom five here is a classic film but um so, so there there are there are other ones in this list um rest of house of cards that's not classic yet but no. a couple of forward language series for some reason party of five is on here <laughs> nice I I might have been drunk when I did that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, people will put, you know, people will put a documentary on their Netflix list and then, you know, rewatch The Office. A million times, right. And, And those documentaries never get watched. It's a... I, I don't know. I think I have, not, least, not I have at least three either. of those on there.
0: I, well, usually like planet Earth or space stuff. So so my right. bottom five, I've got For the Love of Spock, which is a documentary about the new and the old Spock. Um, just have not watched it. Got to be in the mood type thing for documentaries again. A show called 13 Assassins, which as we're talking about it now, I may remove. It's more of like if you've ever watched... Uh, I, I like uh, new slash old Kung-Fu movies, Hong Kong Kung-Fu movies. Uh, Hero is one of them. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon type things. Uh, and that that I hadn't had one of those in a while, so I added it to my list and never got to watch it. And there's other better ones out there right now, so I may remove that one. One called The Dwarven Knot, which is... Uh, is um, that... There's a company, Dwarven something, and they make like... Uh, um, miniature um, dungeon tile-type things that you can build and and walls and stuff. You might have seen them at Gen Con. Uh, and okay, and yeah. it's about that, and it's a documentary about him and his company and stuff, and it looks it looks amazing. Uh, speaking of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I've got sort of Destiny on there, which I have watched, like... I've tried to watch three times, and I've watched, like, 30% of it, and then 30% of it, and then maybe 10% of it. I just... Not as interesting to get all the way through, but I love Crouching Tiger, so I'm going to get through it. And last one is Attack on Titan. That show is an anime that's super popular with anime people. Uh, I'm yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I'm on episode. You have seen it or haven't? Yeah, I have. Okay, it's on. I'm on episode season one, episode thirteen. That show is so incredibly slow. It is painful, (laughs) painful. But every time I bring it to somebody, I'm like, hey, I'm watching Attack on Titan. They're like, oh, my God, Attack on Titan is the best thing ever. So I'm waiting for it to be the best thing ever. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm there yet, 13 episodes in. And I'm not sure if I would recommend it yet. Uh, But I'm thinking I'm going to bite the bullet and, like, power my way through it. Who knows? So
1: those are my shows. Are you um, you – do you do you often watch anime?
0: I do periodically here and there. It it, it again, it's got to be the mood that strikes me because anime has has the um it's just slow. It's slow. They talk a lot. So they they go on and on and on and you're like why well, you can just punch the guy in the face. Uh but some of my favorite shows of all time are Spirited Away and Castle in the Sky, the Miyazaki films. Friggin' Miyazaki. Like all hail the guy. Um <laughs> but they're they're amazing and you know they influence a lot of things around us in our world today those those stories and those shows and uh, a lot of the guys that do pixar things and the pixar movies are influenced by a lot of the good animes from miyazaki and uh, house uh, studio ghibli uh, so i love them i do i there's some of them out there hey so this list try to watch one of those this week next week we'll spend five minutes and talk about if it was worth it to watch it and if we recommend it or not how's that sound okay all right all right guys we will see you next week I hope you all enjoyed the show as we said before look down at the credits and uh, for any links that we have to today's episode that might be to some off weird Star Trek topic we had or a board game that we might have mentioned and we'll try to link it down in the comments and we'll see you all next week see you Dennis
1: yep Good night.